Welcome to Genesee Valley Church, where we are loving God, loving people, and loving life. This is the year 2022, and this is the year that you are going to bring change into your life. We are praying and believing that this year helps you develop a heart of God for yourself, for your home, and for your family. We know that you will be blessed by the message and the word that God has for you today. Let us help you answer your call and make this your year. pursue God passionately. This is the year that my marriage gets on fire. This is the year that my home finds harmony. This is the year that I experience financial stability. This is the year that I fulfill the plan of God for my life. Maybe this is the year that I'm going to answer the call. We are so glad to have you as part of the GVC online family. Get ready. On that somber note, it's really, it's really not a somber note. You know, when we talk about the coming of the Lord, we, we oftentimes think, well, dear God, are you trying to scare people? No, listen, it, it's not a scary message. It's nothing to be scared about. In fact, for the church, it's one of the gl most glorious things. In fact, the scripture says that those that have preceded us, they've longed to be where we are at today. They're, they're up on the grandstands of heaven. They're cheering us on. They're saying, oh, the time is coming. We hear and we, we see the things that are going on in the earth. It's soon, <clears throat> excuse me, it's coming very soon. And I can almost guarantee you that there's got to be preparations going on in heaven, getting things ready, set the tables for those that are coming. And so therefore, there's got to be a stirring in the heavenlies saying that the time is close at hand. Amen. So it's an exciting time, praise God. And so, just as I said, I'm going to have just a one-off message this morning that uh, I've really been just kind of, it's been stirring in my heart, and I pray that you would just use your faith with me to help get this delivered the way that God wants it to be delivered. Because again, there's multiple things that just are stirring in my heart. Uh, I want to make sure that I share what God wants me to say and not put my own interpretation on things. Because you realize there's times where you can speak from the natural man, and it might be good, but you want to speak from the place and the position of where God has called you to. So again, I want God to be able to say what needs to be said this morning. Amen. You know, uh, if I could put a title on my message this morning, we could simply call it this, is it's fire season. It's fire season. You might say, well, what does that mean, fire season? Well, do you know that uh, when it comes to the summer months, uh, they'll put forecast out that says it's not an appropriate time to burn, right? It, it is high likelihood of there being forest fires or fires being caught as a result of sparks that can be transferred or travel and, again, start fire somewhere else, right? Again, there's, uh, in California, there's the wildfires that come every year, and the conditions are favorable for those times of years and so they just anticipate it why because it's fire season right well so in regards to fire season why does it become a fire season that is oftentimes because the the climate and the surrounding areas are dry and because they're dry they catch fire very easily 
And so if we were to ask the question, what is the condition of the church today? What is... What is the, the livelihood of the church? And I'm not talking about just us as a church, but the church across the board. You could say that the church of today is very dry. The church of today has lost the zeal and the heart to pursue God with a passion. We could say it this way, that the church has lost their fire for God. But if it is dry then that only means that it is conducive for fire seasons to be upon us. And so therefore, if it's a fire season, what it means is it only takes a spark to light a fire. Amen. You know, oftentimes if you're one of those individuals that likes to have a bonfire, uh, for myself, I'm not a good fire starter. Because one of the things that I like to do is I like to throw the big stuff on right away. It's like I, I don't want to mess with all the little stuff. Let's get this thing stoked up. Let's get it going. Let's get a fire going, right? And so you start to put the little stuff, get the fire going. You put the big stuff on and you smother it out. And it's like it's smoking. It's not doing what you want it to do. So in other words, oftentimes when we say let's get on fire for God, we think of it as being this big ordeal or this big thing that I got to do. And all God's wanting is for us just to focus on the little stuff. Because it's the little stuff that becomes the kindling that will set ablaze anything and everything else. And so if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm not on fire for God, then you're in the right place. Why? Because collectively, if we'll get together, there will be a fire that starts from one and gets off onto another. I'm not satisfied being satisfied with where things are, where I'm at with God, where you're at with God, where we are as a church in this community. There needs to be a church that's on fire. Well, all it will take is one person that will get on fire and say, God, I want you. I need you. I'm going to lean in and pursue you. And again, the little thing that we give God, God begins to set ablaze. And then that fire or that spark starts to get off on somebody else. And they get to, to be a little bit hungry. And they begin to catch fire. And then when they catch fire, then it gets off onto somebody else. And before you know it, we've got multiple fires that become a consuming fire. Amen. I desire for us to be a people and a church that's on fire for God because this is the hour of the church. This is the hour that God's wanting to do some things. And so there's some scripture that just I want to share with you that kind of speaks to the time in which we're living. That hopefully it will begin to ignite a fire and stir some things on the inside of you to lean in this morning and the days that are ahead. If I can, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4. And if I can, I just want to summarize just for a moment the basis of Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4. But with that being said, we understand that the, 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 the Bible is broken up into two parts, right? There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament not only deals with the present, but it speaks of the past. But not only does it speak of the past, it speaks of the present. And so in other words, the Old Testament was foreshadowing and speaking of times to come. But we can also see things that God was speaking to us this hour in this day from the scriptures of old. But the Old Testament scripture was foretelling of that which would come 
concerning Jesus. And after Jesus came, we have the New Testament. It was the birth of the church. But as we begin to read the Scriptures and we begin to read the Gospels, not only does it speak of times past, not only does it speak of times present, but it again begins to parallel times and days that we are living in right now. So, in Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4, this is the portion of Scripture where we begin to see John the Baptist starting his ministry. Anybody know who John the Baptist is? The Bible says that he was pursuing God and God gave him a word and says, I need you to begin to share my gospel or my message and that is, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he began to do so. And as he began to do so, the Bible says one day as he was baptizing, making the disciples, Jesus came along and Jesus got baptized by his cousin John. And it was at that time that when he was baptized, Jesus roughly being about 30 years old, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he began his ministry at that given time, right? You're familiar with the story, right? But after he was baptized, we hear that God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then shortly thereafter, we see that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted for 40 days and nights, right? And then he conquered the temptations, and he continued with his ministry. Now, in that synopsis of those two chapters, I want to go back and I want to begin to look at a few details of those chapters concerning that which I just shared with you. And once again, as we begin to look at those scriptures, it will begin to parallel with some times and some things that we're experiencing right now in this hour and this day. So if you will, in uh, Luke chapter 3, once again, God spoke to John the Baptist and he says, I want you to preach my gospel or share the kingdom of God being close at hand. And as they begin to inquire of John, he said, there is one that is coming. He said, there is one that is coming that I'm not worthy to do his sandals. He said, but he's going to be filled with fire and he is going to baptize not with water, but he is going to be the baptizer of fire. Amen. Who was he speaking of? He was speaking of Jesus. So the moment that Jesus came on the scene, there was a spark on the inside of him that was to light and set people ablaze for God. Amen. He was the first fire starter, if you want to give him a title. Amen. And so he says, there's one that's coming. He's going to be baptizing with fire. And then as we continue to see the story, it says in verse 7, it says this, that as he was ministering, let's read it there. It says, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, he says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now, let's just stop there for just a moment. First of all, the Bible says that he called them brood of vipers. This is the audience in which John the Baptist is speaking to. The brood of vipers simply means he called them wicked, sinful men. He said, you wicked and sinful men, he said, who warns you to flee the wrath or the dark times that are coming and that are here? Who warned you of that time, you wicked and sinful people? But notice what he says right from the very beginning. It says, he said to the multitudes, everybody say multitudes. In Bible definitions, a multitude is 10,000 or at least 10,000 people. 
This right here says that John the Baptist was speaking to the multitudes. So conservatively speaking, there was at least 20,000 people in attendance. And John is saying, these are dark times. These are times where sin is abounding. I'm speaking to you because this is the hour that is upon us. Who is warning you of the times that are upon us? And he says, it's me. I've been sent to tell you of this time that it's coming. It's interesting that whenever God moves, we begin to see sin abounding in the earth. Do you recall the times when he had his first man and his first family? Sin abounded. They committed a treason and sinned against God. And God stepped in and he says, I've got the answer. Right from the very beginning, when sin rose to a level, God stepped in and says, I've got the answer. There's a seed that's coming. He's going to take away the sins of the world. But then shortly thereafter, sin began to escalate once again. And it was during the time of Noah. And what did God do? God says, sin has reached such a all-time level of wickedness. He says, I've got to send in an answer again. And therefore, we saw that only the righteous remained. And just like in this hour, John the Baptist is saying, sin is abounding. And therefore, because sin is abounding in the earth, because of the wickedness of men's heart, I have to send the Redeemer and the answer to be the sin problem's answer. Amen. And here we are in this hour, in this day, where sin is abounding once again. What did he say was going to be the next time that sin would abound to the level that it is? He says that will be the time of the second coming. Amen. So just like in the, uh, the coming of Jesus the first time, the days and the hours and the times of where the hearts of people were is just like today. Amen? So there's a parallel. But as I was sharing with you, it's interesting that it says that there were multitudes of people. At least 20,000 people. That began to listen to the message and the heart of God through a minister. And the minister was not politically correct. The minister was not trying to be careful about what he said he said you wicked individuals you brood of vipers it's the hour that you get right repent for the kingdom of God is at hand amen there was a time within the church history where people could hear strong preaching and hear the minister stand up and say this is the hour that we need to repent and get right with God because Jesus is coming but man, we live in such a babyfied, sissified, politically correct world today that if you, you, you preach strong messages in the church today, people will leave the church because, dear God, I don't need to hear that. There's somewhere else that I can go and listen to. There's some old milk toast message down the road. There's something else down the road that will pacify my feelings. Somebody else will just give me a good uh, uh, exhortation and make me feel good at the end of the message. No, listen, we have come into the hour where God is saying, I'm coming soon and you need to hear you need to get your heart into a place of repentance so that you're ready at my coming amen 
And please don't hear that being hard. I'm simply saying, as we look at this, 20,000 people heard John the Baptist call them brood of vipers. And they stuck around. As we continue to see it, the Bible says that as he spoke to them strongly, he continued on to say this. He says, it's time to repent. He says, now stop for just a minute. He says, some of you are saying, but yes, I'm Abraham's descendants. Therefore, I must be okay with God. He says, don't reason in your heart. Don't say that you're of Abraham. He says, it's time that you repent. What's that saying? He says, don't make excuses for where you're at. Don't say, well, just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you're okay. No, it's a heart issue. So in other words, you could say it this way. If John was speaking today, he would say this. Hey, just because you go to church, don't think you're all right with God. It's a heart thing. Oh, just because you were baptized 20 years ago, don't think that you're right with God because it's a heart thing. Just because, you know, you've been to church here and there or you call yourself a Christian, don't just think that you're all right with God because it's a heart thing. Amen? And we've got a purpose to identify the hour and the time in which we're living. And even after he said that to them, here's what the people said. They responded and said, well, what shall we do? The people said, what shall we do? The tax collector says, what should we do? The Bible says that the soldiers said, what shall we do? So upon hearing, they didn't get offended. Their hearts were pricked and they said, God, we hear the message. We want to get right. We identify the hour in which we're living. We know that Jesus is coming. We want to know what to do. What shall we do to repent? Amen. And then the Bible says that they began to talk amongst themselves, saying, is he the one? Is, is John the Christ? Is he Jesus? So something began to stir on the inside of them upon hearing a strong message that they began to look for Jesus' coming. And once again, as I said, the church of the hour, of this hour, is so distracted. But God is saying, it's a perfect time. For there to be a fire that gets set ablaze. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I feel as dry as a, a doornail. I'm just dry. Then listen, you are in the right place at the right time. Because once again, if you get around some people that are on fire and hungry for God, it's bound to get off on you and you'll get hungry and on fire for God as well. Come on, say it with me. Say, I want to be a fire starter. Amen. As I said in John chapter 15, or excuse me, Luke chapter 3 verse 15, it says, The people were expecting or in expectation, and they reasoned in their heart, is this the Christ? So isn't it interesting that in that time, when sin began to abound, when the headlines of the news and the papers began to read, and people began to talk, and we began to observe the things that were going on in our culture around us, they were smart enough to put the pieces together and say, could this be Jesus that we're expecting? See, we live in a time right now where the headlines are saying Jesus is coming soon. We're living in an hour right now where everything in our culture is telling us Jesus is coming soon. 
We live in a culture right now that people are streaming saying, we want the right to abort babies. And they'll call evil good and good evil. And everything is expressing that Jesus is coming soon. Are you here this morning? God is wanting us to pay attention to the times. Just as He sent John the Baptist to get the hearts of people ready, He has done it still yet today. You say, well, where is John the Baptist today? It's found in the local church. The Bible says that God has given apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors for what? For the maturing and the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ. So there is, there is present living day John the Baptist is right now those John the Baptists might be you that speak to those people that you love that says Jesus is coming soon because you're praying for them because you're aware of the times and the signs that are going on and says, God, I don't want my family or my friends to be left out or to miss your coming. Amen. We're living those parallel days that we see in the Scripture. In chapters, uh, excuse me, verse 16, we see John responding. In verse 16, he says, saying to all, he says, I indeed will baptize, with, baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, who will st- whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loosen. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In verse 18, it goes on to say this. And with many exhortations, he preached to the people. So what did they hear? They heard that Jesus is coming and he's going to light you ablaze. And after they heard that, something went off on the inside that says, I want to catch fire. Oh, I want to catch fire. And they kept coming back to listen to what John was saying. And so therefore, he would exhort or stir them up. What would he do? He would throw fuel on the fire to ignite them so that the fire would be more consuming and it would get bigger. Amen. We come to church. To be exhorted in our worship, be exhorted in our preaching and our teaching. But, well, praise the Lord, it was good last month. I'm good for another few weeks. What am I talking about? I'm talking about being in a position where we're ready to catch fire. Say it again with me. Say, I'm going to catch on fire. Amen. Now, in verse 21 and verse 22, as all this is transpiring, we see that That Jesus was baptized. And once he was baptized. The Bible says that heaven opened. And God spoke and said this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. So why do I present that to you? Because in the time that Jesus came. When sin was abounding. When things were dry. When he was sending the fire starter. The Bible says in that moment heaven opened. So oftentimes in the times in which we're living, we feel like heaven is closed. We feel like we can't hear or connect with God. But in times just like this, in the times when Jesus came, when sin was abounding, the Bible says that heaven opened and God spoke. So in this hour, in this time, you might feel dry, but I'm telling you there's an open heaven right now. There's an open heaven, and if you'll have ears to hear, you'll begin to hear God speak to you concerning the hour in which we're living. And you might just hear Him say, get ready, get ready, 
get ready. Amen. The more you anticipate his coming, the more excited you get. All of us have things that we enjoy doing, don't we? I mean, as, as I was saying, get ready, get ready, get ready, I started thinking of going fishing. You know, I get up early in the morning, you know, 5 o'clock or so, uh, earlier than that actually, and then I go fishing. But do you know the night before, I'm getting ready. And I'm getting excited the night before because I'm anticipating going fishing the next morning, right? All of us have things that we anticipate and get excited for. If you're anticipating His coming and identify the hour that we're in, there ought to be an excitement right now in the time in which we live. When we see the news that says famine is coming, whoa, glory to God, famine's coming. It's a great day for God to show up. Oh, come on. You know your neighbor's going to be squalling and bawling. Oh, but they're going to see the glory of God in my household. Oh, you know, they just live the life of luxury and they're doing okay right now. But famine is coming. And when famine hits their house, they're going to identify that the blood of Jesus has been applied to this house. And then, maybe just then, they'll turn to me and say, what's going on? How come you're blessed? How come you're not fretting? How come you're not afraid? Because I serve the one that is coming, and therefore famine will not hit my home. Amen. Amen. This is the hour. And you say, well, why would I do that? Because we're living in a time where it's dry, and God's wanting to start a fire. And He's wanting to use you and me. Now, we said this in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, starting in 1, verse 1. The Bible says that Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Right? He was tempted for 40 days and for 40 nights. God is desiring for each and every one of us to be full. In the hour in which we live, it is imperative that we stay full. Why? Because of the dark times and the days in which we live. But now, if you'll notice, the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. And it shows us, and again, for the sake of time, we won't get into it, but the Bible says that he was tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. And as you begin to look at the scripture of how he was tempted, he was tempted spirit, soul, and body. He was tempted in the physical man. He was tempted in the spirit man. And he was tempted in the soulical man, his mind, his will, and his emotions, just like you and I every single day. Right? But he was without sin. But don't you find it interesting that the scripture says that God led him to be tempted. Why did he lead him to be tempted? So that he could be honed and crafted and be made ready for the fight to come. You see, we are living in a time right now that the rubber's meeting the road. And God has been endeavoring to lead you and me into battles, into places of temptation, so that we can begin to grow and develop as believers to learn how to follow Him 
when it counts. You see, you say, well, would God lead me into a battle? Would God lead me into temptation? Well, we see that he did it with Jesus. Let me give you a scripture real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with every or with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So did you notice that wherever there is a temptation, number one, God does not allow you to go through something that you're not able to conquer. And in every temptation or every challenge, every trial, God has already made a way of escape. Or in other words, he's already provided the victory. So if you think about it from the standpoint of a contender or a fighter, many of you guys might like boxing or the, the mixed martial arts. Well, what do they fight for? Do they fight just for the sake of fighting? No, they fight for the title. They're fighting to be the the champ, right? But each fighter has a manager. And each manager is the one that sets up the fights for his fighter, right? And so the manager sets up fights that he believes his fighter can win. Well, why does he do that? Because upon every fight that he leads his fighter to, and with every victory, comes his confidence, his assurity, and his ability to win. Right? So why does God lead you into battles, into situations, so that he can prove you and cause you to be a victor and a champion and cause you to have a reliance in him that he's made a way of escape? That whatever you face... We win. Amen? But here's what happens. The way that we have the victory going into the temptation or into the challenge or the things that we face, if we're full, if we're filled like what Jesus was, which he instructs us to do, that's when we have the best chance of success and victory with the least amount of damage. Because here's the thing. God's leading you to battles that He knows you can win and will win if you trust Him. But He also knows that there's battles that's coming. It's just the adversary that's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you don't learn how to rely on Him and trust in Him in the challenges that he leads you to when the enemy comes to bring the challenge you will see the challenge bigger than you it's not bigger than you but because you haven't allowed the trainer to help lead you and lead you into victory to where you know you can be confident in him when the one comes you don't have the backing or the confidence in the one that has already made the way of escape Does that make sense? So, the things that we're going through in this hour and in this time, they're not bigger than us, nor are they bigger than our God. Whatever you see and whatever you hear and whatever you will see and hear, it is not greater than our God. We have already been made a way of escape for, and therefore the victory is ours. 
Amen? But we have to allow God to develop who we are on the inside. You're doing all right. He desires for us to be filled. Well, see, the more that you become filled, the more full of God that you are, the more on fire that you'll become. Well, what do I get full of? I get full of Him. I get full of Him concerning the Spirit of God in me. I get full of Him with the Word of God in me. Well, what does that do? That allows me to have endurance when the fight comes. If you've ever been a fighter, in fact, you know, I, I was in martial arts, and there was one side of martial arts that I did. And that was something I was familiar with and confident with. Well, then I started doing a little bit of kickboxing. Well, kickboxing is a whole nother thing. It takes a whole nother level of endurance. And I remember fighting one guy. I think we only did like uh, two, three-minute rounds. Now, I'd been working out every week for multiple years. But when I started kickboxing, after the second round, I was done. I was winded. I couldn't go anymore because I was too tired. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit gives you the endurance. It gives fresh breath when you come in contact with the enemy and you're fighting the battle. What does the Word do? The Bible tells us that the Word of God is our armor or it's what we do battle with. So we could say it this way in the context of Him being our, our coach when we're a fighter. When we're up against the battle. The Word of God comes up from the inside. It's like saying, uppercut. All of a sudden, another scripture comes up in the heat of the storm. Oh, that's a jab. Jab, jab. Right? It causes us to endure in the fight when we stay filled. Why are we feeling the heat in the hour that we're living? Why is so much of the church dry? It's because we haven't stayed full. And God says, I want you to be full. I want you to stay stirred up. I want you to be built up. Just a couple more things, and then we'll wind it up. If you will, let's take a look at verse 14, 14 through 16. Notice what it says. It says, therefore, my brethren, or my beloved, flee from idolatry. Oh, you're in 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry. Not 1 Corinthians. That's in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4. I don't have my Bible open and I didn't write it down, so I'll wait for you. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. There you go. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. When did he return in the power? After he had went through the battles of the temptations. You see, you might feel as though you've been weakened and beat up and beat down when you go through the challenges of life. But actually, what's taking place is there is a power that is being restored on the inside. Why? Because the next battle that you're going through is going to be bigger than this last battle. And God has just in, in, empowered you with His confidence, with His faithfulness, and His endurance because the next time, you're going to win again. Notice what it says. Verse 15. All right, verse 14, verse <laughs> 15, all right. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, verse 16, 
So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Let's pause there for a moment. At this particular time is when Jesus started his ministry, right? But notice what it says. He was tempted by God or led to be tempted. Not tempted by God, but led by God to be tempted. He came out of it being empowered. And then right from there, he began his ministry. And it says that he went to the synagogue. And it will say in just a minute that he began to read in church. But notice it says, as his custom was. So what does that tell me? That tells me that all the while he was growing up in Nazareth, where he was or where he was brought up, he had a custom of going to church because mom and dad took him to church. And it says as his custom was, he stood up to read. So in other words, he got involved in church. He was a part of the process, right? There's something to be said about training up your children in these young years because the battle's coming to their doorstep one day. In fact, if they get into those teenage years, I'm telling you, the battle's coming. We experience that ourselves with teenage kids. I said, the battle's coming. Well, if you never train them, if they don't have a custom, if they don't see you as mom and dad's developing a custom, listen, there is a custom of you, mom and dad, that they will follow, that they will duplicate, and it will become bigger and better or better, whatever the case might be. Because it will be multiplied. It's scriptural truth. Amen? But if you show and set the example, this is how we win our battles. We stay full. We have a custom of staying full. We have a custom of staying connected. We have a custom of being involved. Because church is our lifeline. And what was it? It was the hour that was dark. It was the hour when sin was abounding. This is an hour that we need to have our family in church. Can somebody say amen? Let's continue to read in verse 17 and 18. Verse 17, it says, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So in other words, when he stood up and began to read, he found the place that identified him. And he began to express, this is who I am. When you raise your family up in church, when you stay filled with the Spirit, when you stay filled with the Word, when you consistently have a custom to being in the house of God, especially in the dark hour, you are beginning to discover who you are. Because here's what the devil will do in those darkest hours when he brings the temptation, the struggles, the conflicts. He will say, who do you think you are? Well, let me tell you who, you think, who I think I am. Not who I think I am, but who I know I am. I'm just like Jesus. And therefore, there is an anointing that's working on the inside of me. There is a blood that I've applied to my home. And the word of God stands true. And therefore, he has always caused me to have a way of success and victory and a way out. So therefore, I want to let you know you're already defeated, Mr. Mr. Devil. Amen. 
because I know who I am. I'm telling you, there are going to be people that will be agitated by your confidence in this hour. Why do you see the news and the agitation of people rising up and saying, we lost our freedoms, we lost our freedoms, we lost our freedoms? It's simply because they don't know who they are. How come you think there's people that are rising up and saying, we have the, the rights to be whoever we want to be, waving our rainbow flags, and again, we love them, I'm not being critical, but why is there the conflict? Because they don't know their identification in Christ. And when we as the body of Christ stand up and say, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, you'll get criticized. And it's simply because we're identifying with who we are. This is the hour. Amen? And lastly, for the sake of time, I'll close with this. Did I close one time already again? So my second time? Well, you know that by now we at least do four or five, so... If you don't like foreclosings, then, you know, there's a church down the road. <laughs> I, I, I'm playing with you. So, on um, my sixth closing, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a cl what was this, number two now? All right. I make jokes of that because people often say that. Is that, you know, there's like three closings a day, Pastor, so I get it, I get it. So, you're in good company. <laughs> he makes mention of an individual by the name, I think his name was Naaman. He was a leper. And he speaks of the time in which they're living. If you go back to the story, the Bible says that he was a valiant man, a mighty warrior, very successful in battle. But he had leprosy. And he went to the prophet. And he said to the prophet, I want to be healed. And the prophet said, well, just go and wash in the river Jordan. He got offended and he got mad because he said, at least I thought the prophet would wave his hand over me. But he tells me to go wash in the Jordan River. And he says, are not the, the rivers of our land better than theirs? And then his servant says to him, he says, Master, he said, if he was to ask you to do something hard, would you have done it? But he tells you to do something simple. Why don't you try it? What's the point? In this hour in which we're living, when we hear and our hearts are pricked to say, let's lean into God, let's catch on fire, immediately we get overwhelmed and intimidated to say, what do I got to do? How much do I have to do? There's got to be all this stuff that I got to do to get right with God. No, God says it's simple. Just lean in. It's not about what you have to do. Just lean in and allow God to ignite a fire in the hour. That we're in but I got to get it right no listen if you could get it right by yourself you wouldn't need Jesus if you had the strength and the ability to get free of the things that you're struggling to be free from you wouldn't need Jesus well how do I get free just lean in amen will you stand with me we only had two closings but in my third closing right now I want to encourage you just in a moment. I want you to be intentful to allow God to start a fire on the inside of you. You say, how do I do it? If you'll just simply make an acknowledgement, God, start a fire down in my soul. I give you control.
I want more of you, God. It's simply that easy. It'll be a spark. I said it will be a spark. And he'll take your words and begin doing like the fire. So in this closing hour, let's make this our prayer. Let's make it our heart's cry. Will you lean in right now with me and begin to cry out to God as we sing this song? Crank it up. Well, that's it. Is this the year where you're going to see some change? Is this the year where you'll see restoration in your family? Or is this the year where you're going to allow God to move in your life? We would love the opportunity to help you in that. If you would like more info or if you have any questions, we want to hear from you. You can contact us on our social media sites or directly through our website at gvchurch.tv. We are Genesee Valley Church. Loving God, loving people, loving life.